This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5, flying high in both teams. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyreek Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, it's about a decade and a half, then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento like that. That's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today, no Brian West on here. Um, first guy I will introduce on here of the guest, we got Tim Maxwell, Saxon Baby Giraffe. What's going on, Tim? How you doing, man? I'm doing very not okay. Uh, lots of news to discuss tonight, so um, just trying to hang in there. I'm looking forward to our discussion because I think we'll have a lot of good points to make tonight. A lot of things that probably a lot of people are thinking and, and wanting to express. So looking forward to the discussion, but I've certainly been better. Definitely relatable there. And the other guest we got on here is Greg Wistinger, editor of the King's Herald. What's going on, Greg? How you feeling? Oh, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I've just been ranting all evening on Twitter, and now I get to rant here, so I'm good. There we go. And the news that uh, you guys are talking about here, if if any Kings fan is somehow not aware, is that uh, Luke Halton is going to be the head coach next season. We are only, is it only one day, two days maybe, out of the last game of the season? And we are already hearing one day um, that Walton is going to be back next year. I wasn't expecting such a concrete answer in either direction this quickly. Um, but yes, James Ham has put out that tweet and made it official. There was a lot of exit interviews that went on today and a lot of praise. You know, we saw Fox praising Walton throughout the year. We saw Halliburton really doing that in this exit interview as well. The quote I have here from James Ham is me and Luke get along really well. I love him. I love playing for him. Um, it says Halliburton said that he and Walton spent a lot of time in the second half of the season just talking, going over film. He called Walton a player's coach, and there were some kind, kind words from Rashawn Holmes as well saying, quote, I just got to thank Coach Luke Walton for having trust in me, trusting and going to me, looking at me as an option and seeing what I can do and put me on the floor. He definitely gave me a big-time opportunity, and I appreciate that. 
Let's just start with Greg. When this tweet comes out and you see it, what are your initial reactions? There was kind of some hinting leading up to this being a possibility more and more within the last few days and, and weeks. But when this first comes out, how are you reacting? I mean, it was just kind of, like you said, there had been so much hinting through the familiar channels that had been put out there to kind of soften the blow when the news came that it wasn't really a surprise. It was kind of what you said. It was almost more surprising that it was confirmed so quickly. Um, you know, there, were, there was no hesitation. There was no, like, you know, delay. There was none of that. It, it was like a, it was a foregone conclusion that, it seems like this decision was made well before the season ended, at least several days. And so that messaging was out there, and it just confirmed kind of what we had all kind of been afraid was going to be the case. And um, for me, I mean, it's frustrating just to go down this path again with the Kings where we're seeing the same old bag of tricks where you're going to kind of get the messaging out there ahead of time before there's unpopular news instead of just like operating like a normal team and just, you know, making the news be what it is and not worry that much about the fans being upset. But I think that's some of what they've kind of built for themselves where they've made so many mistakes and made so many unpopular decisions and continue to make them that there's just no trust in the fan base. You almost have to start doing the messaging beforehand. And I think it's just going to keep being more of the same until we're shown something different. And what about you, Tim? What is your initial reaction to this? Just like a big, heavy sigh. You know, it's like the Kings are like that friend that always screws up their life. And like, come on, man, you quit your job after a week because you didn't like your manager or whatever their excuses this time for doing that thing. And they do that thing. And you're like, I told you not to do that thing, and they do that thing. And then you go, well, what did I expect? And that's kind of my reaction to this. Like, as Greg alluded to, over the last, I would say, 10 days, if you had asked me two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I would have been like, Luke's gone. Like, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. There's no way he comes back. And then there's things you hear through different people. And then, of course, just to, like Greg said, the messaging they put out, they do it every time. You always know what's going to happen because they put it out to the same three channels and those three same channels start asking hypothetical questions like, well, what if Luke came back? And what if the players like Luke? It's like, well, who cares? But anyway, my reaction was I had two margaritas within about 10 minutes, and I turned off my phone, and I had dinner with my family, and I said, I don't want to do this anymore, which I say every off season. Um Yeah, just, again, a general sense of despair, but like my normal sense of despair at the same time because I expected them to screw this up, and they did, so. Uh, I have very little hope for next season. Yeah, I uh, I had I felt like I had been somewhat of the optimist of of the group a little bit here and there, and it's definitely because I was newer, and I knew that there would be something that eventually broke me, and I think we've already reached the point. It hasn't been that long. It's just I I can't I don't know how to spin this in a positive direction, and we're gonna try later in the episode. But I've been saying for a little while if Walton sticks around. Um, that I am going to really struggle next season. I felt like one of the major areas that I was finding some sense of optimism was, well, the team will be in a lot better spot when they have competent coaching next season, when they're not the second worst defense of all time. Um, And that is where all my concerns lie right now, the offensive end of the floor. Uh, Maybe let's roll through some of the 
counter arguments that I hear for the positives of Walton and kind of get your guys' thoughts on these because um, I, I talked about these and we all, nobody could see this video, but we all collectively smiled when we heard about these counter arguments. Um, and that's definitely how I feel here. And let's go with the first one of um, continuity. Everybody talks about, well, the Kings have gone through X amount of coaches in a certain amount of time, and at some point you just need some continuity. You need to keep the same guy around. And I personally don't think you should keep a bad coach just for the sake of continuity. Um, And I I do kind of think it's that simple with Walton. I think his resume has shown that, you know, the two years he spent in Los Angeles with the Lakers, the two years in Sacramento, that he underperformed for the rosters. I I do think that's the case. Um, Do you think there is anything, Tim, to this argument of continuity? No. Um, Like, like you said, like if you're running a company and your CEO is doing a bad job and you've been through three CEOs, you don't go, well, i got to keep this guy around because I fired the last three. And the other part of that argument is, yeah, that continuity is great. Stop firing the good people. Like stop chasing the good people out of town. That's, that's the argument that should be made, right? Like continuity for Mike Malone. I, I think Dave Yeager was at a point where he had to go, but like continuity for Dave Yeager to a certain extent. Um the argument for continuity doesn't make sense because wins are all that matter in the NBA, right? Success in the NBA is measured by wins and losses. That is it. I don't care about potential. I don't care about moral wins or moral victories. I don't care about we, – we almost sort of kind of made the 10th seed in the Western Conference. Like, that's our standard now. That's our success level. The 10th seed, we, we were like three games out of the 10th seed. None of that matters. Wins and losses. Luke, Luke Walton has done nothing but lose in his career. Five years. He's been a head coach for five years, and he's done nothing but lose. He had LeBron James and won 37 games. And LeBron played almost 70% of that season, and he won 37 games. First time LeBron missed the playoffs since his sophomore season. So I go, okay, if Luke Walton – if this was Luke Walton's second year coaching, period – Right, and we saw some things from the players. Obviously, Darren Fox took another step this season. If we didn't have other evidence of Luke Walton's inability to lead and to make personnel decisions and to have sensible rotations, I might be able to buy that argument a little bit. But we have three years of him with L.A. also failing. So for me, I go, if he's failed for five years, that's a half decade. That's Vladi Divac's entire tenure, right? That's, that's more than a rookie-scale contract. If he's failed for five years, if a player fi- fails for five years, if a player sucks for five years, they typically don't get more time. They're out of the league or they're on a minimum contract or they're playing in Europe or whatever. And the same should be done for Luke Bolton. He's been bad for five years and we're still just continuing to give him relief. So I, I don't, the, the argument would make sense if we had less evidence of Luke Bolton's abilities, but I think we have plenty of evidence. Yeah, I think you, I thought you were going to make the point I was going to make, and so I'm glad you, you kind of sidestepped a little bit. But the continuity argument is the same argument we heard for the second half of Lottie Divac's tenure. It's the exact same argument that, oh, he just needs time. We just need consistency. We need to see a plan through. Sometimes you just have the wrong person, and when it becomes apparent, you need to move on. Like, we keep making the same excuses just for different people in different roles, but when it's obvious to everyone else that this is the wrong guy for the job, you don't keep giving him the job hoping he suddenly figures it out. 
Yeah. And I can hear, I feel like the counter argument, and I don't agree with these, I'm just playing the other side for the sake of conversation, is, well, Walton was ending the ending the year on a strong point. Um, you know, that there were rough, is probably an understatement, stretches um, earlier in the season of multiple nine-game losing streaks. But he ended the year strong. The players were playing hard for him despite injuries and, and COVID situations with players sitting out, you know, without three, sometimes four of your best players and starters. And the team finished the year strong. Um, Greg, is, is there anything to that? Is, do you take some sort of um, hope moving forward in that the team was performing well over this final stretch of games? So I, I don't because of two different reasons. So one, at the end of the season, there were so many injuries. that This was essentially just a, a group of guys who have very uncertain NBA futures. And they were all playing for their next season. It, it, that was their motivation. Second, I would point to the game where the Kings were eliminated from the plan, where the Knicks had beat the Spurs, so they had done their part. And everyone knew that if the Kings won – they still had a razor-thin chance, but they still had hope to make the play-in. And that game ended with the Kings blowing a 24-second violation coming out of a timeout. Like, it was still a poorly coached team. They were still not delivering when it mattered. Like, the chips were all there. They had their destiny in their own hands, at least for that moment. And they fell apart. Like, they were not a well-coached team in that game when it mattered. I mean... So we can look at the macro, we can look at kind of the broad scheme and the things that were happening. We can look at the, the narrow margins and the specific things that were happening, and it all still points to the same conclusion. The Spurs lost all those games. They <laughs> lost the rest of the season. I if mean, at a certain point, it didn't matter for them anymore, but right. still. But I mean, yeah. if the Kings had won, yeah. they would be in the play-in today, <laughs> right? Like, that's, you win, you get in, you don't win, you don't get in. and um. The, the end of the season should not matter any more than the beginning or the middle of the season. It's a season. It's a it's a it's a measurement stick, right? And in a foot, the last four inches doesn't matter compared to the first four inches. So for me, it's going. I've had two full seasons to observe this, right? He's he's been coaching for I don't know I don't even know how many games. A lot of games for the Kings, 140 or whatever it is. Um, I probably did that math horrifically wrong, but um, there's been no improvement. Right, so like, I don't care about a final 20 games or final 15 games when I have another 130 games to compare it to. As Greg mentioned, these guys are playing for the NBA career. We played the Thunder three times in like eight nights or something like that, and who cares about those wins? Like, if you're playing teams that are actively trying to lose, the wins don't matter, and the Kings still struggled for parts of those games. So, you look at the schemes, you look at the execution, you look at the motivation, you look at the discipline, you look at the defense. And none of it speaks to progress to me. So it's just I don't care about 15 or 16 games at all. And, I mean, those, the end of the season was the weakest part of the Kings' schedule. Everyone knew that going in. We knew that, bef- like, at the start of the season. We knew it started hard and then was going to get easier down the stretch. So playing better down the stretch was expected. It wasn't a sign of progress. Right. Yeah. And I'm just going to keep playing devil's advocate here. Um, you know, there was there was a lot of player development this season. 
De'Aaron Fox took a big leap. Harrison Barnes had a, a career year. Apparently, Buddy Heald learned that he can pass the ball instead of shoot it at the end of the season. Um, DeLon Wright, Mo Harkless, and Terrence Davis all really um, expanded their games during times in Sacramento. Um, and again, just playing devil's advocate here, when you hear these arguments for, for player development, and specifically I feel like the main thing is the leap that Fox took, um, do you feel like Wallin should be accredited for that, Tim? Partly, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we should strip Walton of all credit of anything. Like, he's done some things well. Um, and I'll, I'll answer the Fox question in just a moment. But, you know, just to point to, like, the Rashawn Holmes quote, right? Rashawn Holmes was like, Walton believed in me, and he did, right? Like, when we when we signed Holmes, it was to a, a two-year MLE deal to, to sit at the back of the rotation and, and fill center minutes. Dwayne Dedman, who I never liked, and that should be in the history. That me I never either. Liked me either. <laughs> just terrible. Just really didn't want to sign him. Didn't write a lot of articles about it. Um, Dwayne Dedman sucked horrifically, and Walton was quick to pull the trigger and say, Holmes, get in there. You're playing better. And, I mean, that's like that's credit to Walton. One of the main criticisms of Dave, Dave Yeager, besides like everyone hating him on a personal level, was that um, – De- Jaeger never made rotational changes, right? Jaeger would stick with a guy for 25 games, 30 games for making a decision. So, like, with Fox's development, so it's clear that Fox and Walton have a great relationship, which is good. Like, I would, I, I want my star player to have a good relationship with his head coach. I don't want him to have an anti- antagonistic relationship. And I, I think it is clear to a certain extent that Walton in some way influenced Fox's level of aggression and assertiveness. Now, I don't know, like, where that ranks, right? I don't know if Fox walked into the season and said, I'm the guy now, I got the big deal, this is on me, and Walton had zero influence, or if their relationship, Walton was able to say, hey, Darren, you need to get out there and and lead the team. And I don't know to what extent Walton deserves that credit, and no one does. But I I don't want to say that Walton didn't do anything well. You know, you you reference Harrison Barnes. in the preseason, I talked about how last year um, Walton used Barnes more in the post and as a four than Mark Barnes had ever done under other coaches, and it, it's worked well. Um, the Buddy stuff, I don't really believe in because I think Buddy has regressed severely under um, Walton's leadership. So I, I think Walton has done some things well. His after-timeout work is is great. He's a pretty good you know play drawer. I, I don't know if he has those specific responsibilities, but like Walton does some things well. He's not at fault for every problem in Sacramento. He's not at fault for every loss, nor does everyone just automatically get revoked from his from his credit. It's one of those things, good at some things. He's just not good at enough things for me. Yeah, and it's always difficult, right? Because like Tim said, you can't take away all the credit, right? I mean, you can't just only focus on the bad. I mean, that that wouldn't be fair. But, I mean, the Kings also do have some people that are notoriously good at player development on their staff, guys like Rico Hines and uh, even, to an extent, Alvin Gentry. And I think that where Luke's strengths are, and, and something I've said a, a lot is that I think whenever he's done being a head coach of the Kings, I think Luke Walton's probably a great assistant coach because I think there are some things he does really well. And I think he'll probably – have a pretty long coaching career in the NBA, just maybe not in the top job. Um, it, if anything, you could maybe point to player development, but it also seems like there are still some of those issues that 
Tim pointed to with Dave Yeager. I mean, we've seen plenty of times when Walton has been hesitant to change his rotation. I mean, yes, he gave Halliburton plenty of minutes early, and that's definitely to his credit. I mean, early on in the season, Halliburton was getting lots of minutes. But we've also seen young guys that, for whatever reason, he doesn't trust and never gives an opportunity to. I mean, how many blowouts did we see where there was like 30 seconds left before he would stick in Ramsey or Guy or Woodard? I mean, guys that it's like, you have no practices, so they're not getting any run in any other way. Why aren't you just throwing them in with two minutes left of a blowout instead of the last 30 seconds? I mean, so there's development opportunities that I think you can even see being missed just in the chance to get you guys some run. And, you know, I mean, it, it's always difficult to know exactly who to credit, right? I mean, I haven't heard Fox say, even though he's been quick to praise his relationship with Walton and say that he's grown to trust him and all these different things, when's the last time you saw Fox say, like, I credit Walton with my development? Holmes didn't say, I credit Walton with my development. He said, I credit him with the chance, giving me the chance and believing in me. Like, you're still not hearing these things. You're hearing that guys like playing for him, but they're not saying, like, yeah, coach really helped me get over this hurdle. So, I mean, they're not saying – anyone else on the staff, they're not crediting anyone specifically. So maybe I'm just grasping at straws here to dislike Walton. That's entirely possible. But it's a difficult thing, and, and yeah, I mean, you can't take away that credit. Guys have grown and developed, but some guys are going to grow and develop. I mean, a guy like Fox, we always expected to grow and develop anyway. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Yeah, and personally for Fox, I, I feel like it was more of a specific skill development, a lot with his shooting and confidence in that and playmaking and, and just more poise and patience to his game that I have trouble accrediting to a specific coaching staff um, and more so to just him putting in the time and the work. Um, and, and maybe, you know, it's Rico, like Greg said, or um, or, or maybe it is part of Walton. But I will say the one the one aspect that I do feel okay with saying that um, Wallen really has made progress is he came in after Jaeger and said that he wanted to make them a good half-court offense because they really struggled with that under Jaeger. And that's totally happened. They are the 12th-ranked offense this season, and I do think a lot of it has to do with that jump from Fox. I think Halliburton is a really good offensive player, even though Bogdanovich was as well. Um, and you've seen a lot of development in that aspect. Um, where I struggle here is that I feel like Luke Walton's offensive system is very basic. It's a lot of freelance 
and if you have smart players that they are going to shine in it because they are just given so much freedom to read the floor, read and react as it happens, and this is why you've seen Fox, Halliburton, Barnes really succeed, and you've seen Buddy Heald struggle. Um, Bagley has struggled at times, even though he has um, has accepted a little bit more of a role within the flow of the offense. But, um, yes, while I do think there's been progress in the half-court offense clearly, I don't think that it's because Luke is doing something complicated. I think like what Luke is doing is very replicable, and most coaches could have came in and made this a decent offensive team with the talent. Am I being unfair there, Tim? No, um, Jaeger didn't have a half court offense. Like his his theory coming to the season was literally we're going to roll the ball out and sprint every possession. Buddy and Fox are just going to go in transition. We're going to run transition more than anyone else, which they pretty much did. They ran they ran transition like almost a quarter of their plays under Jaeger, which is an insane number. Um, and so Walton did have to come in and set up a half court offense. I think he did that too slowly and and too methodically, but. Yeah, I mean, like, if you think about the Kings, if you've watched the Kings, if you observe the Kings, what's special about them? Not not players specifically, but, like, what's special about what they're doing? And I never see anything really special. Everyone saw a cool play here, a cool play there, a cool drop, whatever. Like I said, the ATOs are pretty – are often good. Um, but it's, it's relatively basic. And I – the one thing I'll say to Walton's credit, and you kind of referenced it, is I don't know how much this starting lineup could handle, right? Like – Let's be honest, you give Buddy Heald the ball in any sort of ball handling situation, and it's going to end in disaster. Now, back to Walton, why are you starting Buddy Heald, right? Like, I mean, that's that's something to question. Marvin Bagley is not uh, going to be able to run in an offensive set very well. He's showed some progress this year, but if we can be honest, Marvin Bagley is pretty much either it's my possession or it's someone else's possession. That's He just trades off. Um, again, if you insert Halliburton for Bagley, you have a, a lot more offensive flow and a lot more um, options. So, yeah, it's, again, it's one of those things. The Kings were a fine offensive team this year, and you have to wonder how much the offensive numbers were inflated because teams knew that they didn't really have to play defense against the Kings, right? Like, I'm just going to come in and shoot up the Kings, right? I'm going to come in and hit 23s, and I'm just going to walk away with a 12-point victory, and I don't really have to extend that much effort on the defensive end. Um yeah, again, it's one of those things. I don't think Walton ran a, ran a terrible offense, but I don't think it was good enough for me to look at him and his coaching repertoire and go, oh, yeah, I, I need this guy back, which there are some of those coaches out there in the league, whether that's an offensive scheme or a defensive scheme. Yeah, and where are you at, Greg, when you're looking at the offensive jump that the Kings have taken under Walton? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely areas where we can see the improvement. I mean, half-court offense is definitely night and day better than it was under Jaeger. But, again, that, to Tim's point, that's kind of a low bar. Um, I still don't know that, that the Kings' half-court offense is anything that other teams are looking at and saying, like, oh, we got to run that, you know, because that's working really well. I mean, it, they've got talented players, and, and they've got some decent sets that they run, but there's also a lot of, you're just kind of hoping something develops as opposed to you're executing and, and creating those opportunities sometimes. Um, I definitely do think it's still better than it was. I and mean, even last year, this year, I think it's much better on the offensive end. But, I mean, that's just all coming at the expense of any sort of semblance of defense. I mean, 
second worst defense in NBA history. And this is now the second of Walton's five years where the Kings have been the, or not the Kings, I'm sorry, the second of five years that Walton has coached the worst defense in the NBA. Uh, he did it in his first year with the Lakers as well. And uh, the Kings were 20th last year. So, I mean, they've gotten just progressively worse. And they theoretically have players who should be defenders, right? I mean, like, Fox isn't a great defender. He's not going to lock anyone down. You know, and I'm sorry, I'm getting kind of off on defense when we were talking about offense, but it's kind of that whole picture. It's like, okay, yeah, the offense is starting to click, but what else is that at the cost of? Because as good as the offense has been, it, it hasn't been enough. I mean, it, so it doesn't really matter to me that, yeah, there's improvement, but it's not enough improvement to cover the issues that the team still faces. Yeah, totally with you. And you definitely don't have to apologize for a defensive rant. I'm probably going to end up doing the same and have done so plenty of times throughout the year. And I mean, like, yeah, if you're going to be a slightly above average offense, then you better be, you know, slightly below average defensively. You can't be horrible on the defensive end like they have been. And how many times was the third quarter an issue this year because teams were making adjustments at halftime and it didn't feel like the Kings were doing that. Um, And that, directly goes on well and and the defensive issues this year the whole switch everything and it's not absolutely everything um, but it is a lot more than most teams throughout the league at least the teams that do it a lot have the proper personnel to do that and I think Rashawn Holmes is probably most ideal in a switch scheme but the issue is that when you get to a uh, Damian Jones a Chemezi Metu Hassan Whiteside why in the world are these guys switching onto? I, I we've seen Damian Jones on Steph Curry. I've seen Chemezi Metu on Luka Doncic, um, Damian Lillard with Hassan Whiteside, and those just make no sense to me. And I think that um, I've said this before that like even Budenholzer was getting criticized before for doing drop coverage every single time. They have great personnel to do it, and it was working really well. But if you do it every single time, teams know what are coming and are completely able to counter that. And so if you're doing the exact same thing and you don't have proper personnel for that, that is even bigger of an issue there. So the the defense and the lack of adjustments on that end, the fact that you're not even like trying things and it didn't work, you just stuck with the exact same thing that didn't work all season long. Um, I have a lot of concerns about the defense moving forward. One other quote that came out today that was really interesting to me, and this one came from Sean Cunningham um, while he was kind of going through a couple tweets about the whole Walton situation. He says, according to numerous sources I've spoken to over the course of the past couple months, Luke Walton's job also became much more safe when the Timberwolves hired Chris Finch. And, you know, Gerson Rosas, head coach or um, general manager in Minnesota, also came from Houston. So it seems like both of the Houston guys had some sort of thing going for Chris Finch here. Um, I don't know. That, that's just surprising to me because it seems like there's other going to be other fine candidates. We had Jill Adge on the previous episode. She laid out Wes Unseld, Sam Cassell. It seems like Budenholzer could be on the hot seat. Terry Stotts. Um, what, what do you make of this Chris Finch news, Greg? It aggravated me because if that's the guy, he was out there last summer. Like, if 
I mean, I, I know that there was the money issues with the, the pandemic and all this, but I mean, if, if that was the guy that McNair had tapped, then he should have got him last summer. And if that's the only thing that saved Walton's job is the idea that one assistant coach was the only better option. I just struggle to buy that too. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, you can't tell me that that was the only guy who was capable of coming in and doing a better job than Luke Walton. I mean, it just struck me as such a, an easy out. Like, oh, if only, but he happens to be gone, so we can't do the, anything now. We just got to keep going. Sorry. Like, it just struck as such a hollow argument as to why they're going to keep going with Walton. It's, it's bad either way, right? Like, if if they're offering a terrible excuse, if they're so bad at PR, I guess, that that's like, oh, you know what, that, that will convince everyone we did the right thing by retaining this terrible coach. Then that's concerning. And then if, if their real thing is like, oh, man, it was Chris Finch or bust. Chris Finch? That's your bust? What? Chris Finch? <laughs> No, no one even knew who Chris Finch was six months ago. Maybe, okay, maybe Jill Adjid. I, I was going to say Jill knew. Jill knew. <laughs> Jill knew. Brett Huff knew. Four people knew. His mom knew probably. No one knew who Chris Finch was. I, I, if that is legit, then that is a much bigger concern almost than keeping Walton because that means they had – and honestly, it, it seems like the Kings are kind of operating right now in this one-plan mindset, right? Like – Chris Finch or nothing, right? Like, play in or nothing. And it's weird. Like, give yourself options, man. You're a terrible team. You've been terrible for 15 years. Open up pathways. Open up offer deadline, right? Monty McNair didn't get what he wanted for Harrison Barnes at the deadline, so he didn't trade him. Didn't get what he wanted for Rashawn Holmes, so he didn't trade him. Didn't get what he wanted for Buddy Heald, so he doesn't, doesn't trade him. Didn't, didn't get what he wanted for Marvin Bagley, so he doesn't trade him. And, again, this Chris Finch thing, I, I agree with Greg. I think it's more BS than anything. It's a very convenient excuse that, oh, man, we couldn't get our one guy. Like, there's not 15 guys and, and men and women there that could do this job and do it far better than Luke Walton has done so thus far. So it's just like – it's just another depressing note in that the team is either incompetent in their message sharing or they're incompetent in their execution. Um, it's kind of like, I'll, I'll compare it to this, like, you know, there's been talk out there that like, oh, maybe Vivek wanted to get rid of <coughs> McNair, or sorry, not McNair, wanted to get rid of Walton. And well, was it, was it, was it really McNair's choice to keep Walton or, or his ownership broke, right? Or his ownership just inserting themselves in this conversation. And again, it's one of those things, I don't know which is worse. I don't know if it's worse that Vivek has given up no power and is just making decisions as he always has and has done so, I just want to remind everyone, the Joe Dumars thing happened like eight months ago. So this is not this is not old stuff that he's been doing, right? Or is Monty McNair really choosing Luke Walton as the future of this team? I don't know which one is worse. I, I think the second one is, well, I don't know. I can't tell you which one. They're both bad. Um, I was going to so, say, yeah, does, this make you, thing, does this make you worried about McNair? Because he already had a really questionable deadline with a lack of direction. I've been off of the McNair boat since the deadline. I mean, you guys know this about me. Like, I think I'm probably more 
I don't want to say anti-McNair, but like more worried about McNair than maybe anyone else in Sacramento, maybe besides Rich Ivanowski, because Rich was right on board with me, like immediately speaking of someone whose positivity was destroyed very quickly by this team. Um, yeah. Okay. So we had a plan to reset, right? So we didn't re-sign Bogdanovich because we wanted financial flexibility. So we wanted a good draft pick. Then we didn't try for a good draft pick. We also didn't get financial flexibility. We didn't care about the draft pick, but we didn't get the play in. And it's just like, yay, we drafted Tyrese Halliburton, a really obvious draft pick. I mean, great. But other than that, I mean, I like the right trade. The Davis trade from a value standpoint was solid. But at some point we have to – Monty McNair has to make some decisions, right? The Bogdanovich thing, he did a non-decision. He just let Bogey walk, right? The free agency, he, he punted on, didn't do anything. The de- the deadline, he didn't really do anything. Like, this team needs a lot more help than Wright and Davis, right? And now the coaching decision just didn't do anything, just kept the same guy. So at some point, for me very soon, like this offseason, I need to see Monty McNair make some major moves. And I'm losing faith in him by the day. Um, I don't know if, Greg, you feel the same or if I'm – I know I, I went off that boat very quickly with McNair. Well, and just to take it back real quick to the Finch thing to wrap that up before we move on to McNair, and – if that's the only guy, the other funny thing about that is, how did we get in the Luke Walton situation? Vladi Divac had one guy, one coach he wanted, no one else. He didn't want to look at it. Like, it's the same thing, the same mistakes being repeated by the franchise. Um, so, anyway, moving on to McNair. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this this is the summer I think that's going to shape my opinion. I'm not as worried as Tim and a couple of the other guys in our crew are, but – I'm going to be worried if this summer doesn't make an impact. Like, if you're keeping Walton, you have to make changes to the team. You can't just run everything back as is. I mean, yeah, there were some good moves at the margins at the deadline, and they were fine. They didn't do enough, just like we said at the deadline, like, hey, we needed something more. This wasn't enough, and sure enough, it wasn't. But now – you're going to run it back with Walton? Okay, that's fine. Like, if if you think he's the guy and you think he can lead you to success, then you got to make the moves to improve the roster to make that happen because we know what he can do with this roster, and it's not enough. Like, it just simply isn't. And if the Kings run it back, like, if we're looking at a largely unchanged roster or if it's this roster just minus Rashawn Holmes because we let another player walk for nothing – when they could have traded him at the deadline, like that's when I'll be getting very concerned about McNair. I mean, I'm willing to give him through this draft, this free agency. I want to see what he does because who knows, maybe he pulls off something that really changes my opinion and swings it towards the positive, but I'm right on the edge right now. So since this seems to be the reality of next season, um, even though we may be hoping that this is all some false truth coming out, Where can you find some sliver of hope going into next season with Walton at the helm, Greg? I mean, for me, I'll find hope in two different areas. So first is Fox and Halliburton. And I think part of what made the end of the season so painful was those games without either one of those guys. I mean, those two are the most fun players on the team, the best players on the team, the most interesting players on the team, the guys who still have the most opportunity for growth and to show you something new that's unpredictable and interesting. 
and I'm still excited to see what happens with them next year. Um, you know, I, I worry about wasting these years of those two, but at the same time, those are a, a key point that I'm still excited about. And then the other piece, I, I kind of mentioned it a minute ago, but you know, there's got to be something this summer. You know, I, I want to see McNair make some sort of an impact move that makes me excited about this team's future. I mean, I, I can't talk myself into this team, this exact team, suddenly making a leap next year. It's really hard to to see how that would happen. So I'm hopeful that there's a a major shift of some sort with the roster that can help kind of re-energize me a little bit over the offseason. What about you, Tim? Don't ask Tim. I know. I started with you. (laughs) I started with you for a reason, Greg. In in regards to like specifically thinking about Walton, I don't have any. Like I don't think he's gonna suddenly give. I, okay, I'll I'll find a point. I'll find one. Okay, I found one. The players really like him, so maybe we can build this culture of lollipops and unicorns and rainbows, where everyone loves each other so much that they start trying on defense for the first time in their careers. Um, yeah. Other than that, like. Every okay, it's again one of these things. Like everyone knows the Kings are going for a star, right? Like everyone knows the plan is this summer to trade for a star. I think everyone knows that plan. Um, I hope we do it. That's the path I think we have to follow now because, again, we gave ourselves one option this summer. Um, if we trade for a star, then we've got a shot at being all right. And that's, I mean, all right in that exact context. Like we had ten more losses, there's ten more losses than wins this year, so we weren't really even close to like mediocre. We were mediocre for the Kings. We were not mediocre for the NBA. Um, so trading for a star is what Monty McNair plan is planning to do. I think everyone knows that. I think that's what he has to do. What level of star we can obtain is a very good question because there's a lot more teams out there with a lot better assets than what we can offer. Um, part of the reason, again, the trade deadline was frustrating because we didn't gather assets. So I guess for me, my two pieces of hope for the fan base are, one, everyone likes each other. The team seems to get along. Like, for having two I, – I will say this, for having two nine-game losing streaks in a season and having some horrific performances, including that horrible blowout, blowout to Utah, the team actually did seem to stay together this year, which is maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing. I don't know. Maybe there should have been more yelling and fighting. Um, and then if we can trade for a star, um, like a, a fringe all-star, low-level all-star, then, then maybe we have a shot at, at like, the nine seed next year, the eight seed. Um, we're really excited about them. Just drop the banner, mission accomplished, George W. Bush style. Get me on a, get me on a ship. Um, yeah, I guess that's where I can find my hope. And then, like Greg said, obviously, Fox and Halliburton are a ton of fun. They're, I think they're the best young guard duo in the league bar none, so um, I think we can find a lot of joy in, in watching them and watching them develop. Yeah, my hope sounds like similarly to both of you revolves around the roster and um, the stars of the roster. I think Halliburton next season can prove even more than he has this year that he has star potential rather than elite role player potential and Chris you know, Paul, Chris Paul there you go. Paul. 
and uh, that's Paul. the that's the most optimism I've ever heard out of you, Tim. Uh, <laughs> Chris Paul for Halliburton, I'm all for it. And you know, I'll be really interested in keeping up with whatever draft pick comes in this off season, assuming it doesn't get traded. Um, so that's kind of where my optimism lies, but it's going to be about optimizing those guys, and I don't think Walton's that guy. I like, and I'm not going to be sitting here hoping that I'm right. I really hope Walton proves me wrong. I want to eat crow next season. I want to be wrong about this. I just think that for the reasons we've laid out and the arguments to the counterpoints, that that's not going to happen. I think we have enough of a resume of Walton to, I feel that, I don't remember which, I think it was Greg said this earlier, I feel the same way, that like Walton would be a really good assistant coach. I just don't think he should be um, running the show. And that's where I'm at with this. Um, I'm extremely disappointed that, that this news came out. Definitely um, made me feel, uh, Mondays are pretty rough already. So this was uh, this was definitely adding something to that. Is there any final thoughts on this, guys? End of the season, Walton News, anything Kings-related? It doesn't even have to be Kings-related, I guess, Tim, to close this one out. Uh, until the Kings decide to operate like a normal organization, we're just going to continue to see this cycle of nonsense over and over and over again. Um, they They started to become normal with the McNair hire, so I have to give them props with that. Uh, but I think there's a lot that goes on in the background that impacts the front end of things. And until all of that gets worked out, we've seen talent come through Sacramento. We've seen coaching talent come through Sacramento. We've seen player talent come through Sacramento. And it never equals wins because the background is always messy. Um, So, if the Kings can fix some of that background stuff, and maybe McNair is the guy to do that, and similar to what you said about Walton, I hope this time next summer I can be like, man, I doubted Monty McNair, and I was stupid. That was dumb of me. You know, I, I should have never doubted him. He had a plan in place, and he executed it wonderfully, and we were the sixth seed, and I'm an idiot. And I'm I'm happy to say those things, so that happens. Um, so, yeah, if Monty McNair is the one that can clean up some of that mess and insert his will into this organization and execute at a high level, then then I think we're in good shape. But until those things are fixed, um, the singular coaching decision, the singular draft pick decision, the singular trade decision won't make as large of an impact as we want it to because of the background items going on. Um, from from I guess from a more positive aspect of things, we have Fox and Halliburton. If Monty McNair can trade for a star, you've got a, you know, a three-man crew. Um, with some some supportive supporting players that I think can operate well as the fourth or fifth man and Rashawn Holmes, Harrison Barnes, those those level of guys. So um, there, there's a path to relevancy here, and the path isn't even that long. I don't think um, the path just has has to be executed well, and we just need to wait and see. I guess if Monty McNair can do so. Yeah, man. I- just to kind of echo what both of you have said, I hope to God that I'm wrong about all this. Like, I would love nothing more than the Kings to, you know, make a leap like the Suns did this past year, where suddenly they are good. Like, suddenly they make one big impact move. Chris Paul. And, yeah, I mean, not Chris Paul. I'm just saying that make a big impact move. <laughs> and just make the right move and let the pieces kind of all fall in line. Like, that would be wonderful. I 
I don't see it happening right now, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. I didn't see this happening for the Suns last year. Like, if you had asked me last summer where the Suns' trajectory was, it looked about on par or worse than ours. And then they managed to get Chris Paul, and it brings it all together, right? So, New coach, but, you know. I mean, a coach we could have hired. But (laughs) it all just comes down to – I want the Kings to be good. Like, that's where all my frustration comes from. It's like, I love the Kings, and I just, I've been covering this team for so many years now, and I so desperately would love to try covering a team with, like, a winning record. That'd be cool. Like, (laughs) I want them to be good, and they, I keep trying to talk myself into how moves could work. I keep trying to talk myself into, well, maybe there's something I'm not seeing, and this will be fine. But it just keeps not happening. <laughs> so at a certain point, I mean, I'm not saying that I can see where everything's going or that I'm smarter than anyone else, but at a certain point, the moves the Kings make seem obvious to everyone except the Kings as bad moves. I just want for once the Kings to actually know what they're doing. And, and prove me wrong and, and just, like, have a good basketball team. That's what this is all about. It, it shouldn't be that hard. I mean, more than half the teams make the playoffs of the year. This shouldn't be that hard. They expanded it to where now two-thirds of the league is in some form of postseason, and we still can't do that. I mean, all I want is to, like, show some signs of competency. Every other team goes through it in just kind of a couple-year cycle. And so that leap that Tim mentions is not that far off. It's not. There's ways you can see it happening. The Kings just don't seem to be able to do it. And so every move they make that seems like an obviously bad move just builds that frustration. And that's where I think a lot of this comes from. Totally. And like you said, I feel like I've been able to justify most of the moves. I could talk myself somewhat into the deadline and things like that if I didn't agree with it. The Walton one, I struggle with. Um, but, you know, all of us here are going to continue to be covering this team. Same with the rest of the great group of guys and girls at the Kings Herald. So definitely check out the site, kingsherald.com, and give a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.